This is God's holy and infallible word, Romans 12, 9 through 13. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. That's God's word tonight. You know, I feel like there's some big event or game or something going on tonight. I don't know. I've just heard rumors. I might be wrong. But if there were this event going on, I could imagine that there are people uh, who are practicing hospitality. I'm not sure if, if Paul meant hospitality for viewing sporting events, but who knows, maybe. But you could imagine people practicing hospitality, preparing snacks, appetizers, food to enjoy, uh, a few salty things maybe, some sweet things to drink, a perfect presentation of snacks. Uh, you want... And we always want the perfect ingredients for the perfect party. In a way, Paul is giving us a list of perfect ingredients in our verses. Uh, you, You may remember that from chapter 12 on in Romans, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, shows us what the Christian life is about. And that follows Romans chapters 1 through 11, which instructs us and teaches us about our sinfulness and the sinfulness that all people are born in and continue to live in. But those chapters also tell us how we're saved from our sin by grace through faith. Well, 12 and on tell us about our living, and this little group of verses gives us some key details about a life lived in response to God's salvation in Jesus. So we're going to look at seven ingredients of a healthy Christian life, seven ingredients of a life of gratitude for all that God has done for us that we learned about in Romans 1 through 11. These ingredients make for the life that God calls us to. A life of blessing, a life of thankfulness and praise, a healthy Christian life. Uh, We're called to have these characteristics so our lives can be a pleasing presentation and offering worship to the Lord. And the first characteristic is heartfelt love. We're going to dive right in. Heartfelt love. Love must be sincere, says verse 9. And really, what other kind of love is there except love from the heart? That's always the type of love God has called his people to. In the Old Testament, in the New, love from the heart, sincere love. And love, of course, summarizes the whole Christian life. The summary of our calling and attitude of gratitude for the Lord's great love for us is loving God above all 
and Paul's emphasis here, loving our neighbor as ourself, or better yet, loving our neighbor as Jesus loves us, as Jesus taught us uh, the second greatest command. As we ask ourselves, and, and that's what I, what I want us to do, um, obviously, as we go through these seven ingredients, is to reflect on our own hearts and lives and see if these ingredients, these characteristics, um, are there and to what extent and how we can grow in them. As we ask ourselves about whether we have heartfelt, true love for those around us, um, C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian author and thinker, he has some thoughtful advice for us in his famous book, Mere Christianity. He writes there, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor or agonizing about it. Act as if you did. And as soon as we do this, we find one of life's greatest secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, if you hurt them, you will end up disliking them even more. But if you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. And so if you're having trouble currently in maybe your relationship with your spouse, uh, maybe it's, it's, a, it's someone you work with, another family member, um, a fellow church member, act in love, behave in love, and the true heartfelt love will follow. That C.S. Lewis says that's one of the great secrets of life. We love each other with sincere love, as Paul says, which we're actually not naturally very good at. In the end, this kind of love can only come from knowing and being rooted in God's perfectly sincere love shown to us in Jesus. And then his love, when we know that, will begin to change us from the heart, from the inside out. Second, a healthy Christian life is values-based. Second half of verse 9, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. The last months we've been hearing story after story in the news of women and girls who have been mistreated by men in positions of power in our society. And it's, it's sad, it's evil. Where the accusations are true, these men have fled what is good and instead have chosen to cling to what is evil. There are a lot of examples in what I just gave of, of, of that mistreatment. Um, we could find other examples around us, too, of lives apparently being lived with no values or upside-down values. And that becomes common in, if a society loses its moral foundations and as people throw out right and wrong in favor of doing what feels right to them. Christians approach life with a sense of right and wrong, with morals. We have a value system. And 
we don't find that value system by looking within us. If we did, we wouldn't have much of a value system. We'd lose our way, morally speaking. We wouldn't have the foundations we need. Instead, to be values-based, we look outside ourselves to God's word, and we make sure also that we're, we're part of the body of Christ, the church, where those values that are so different from the world are encouraged in our hearts and lives, where those values are supported and built up as we live in this world and culture. Then we'll have that foundation that's values-based. A third ingredient in a healthy Christian life is from verse 10. Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That devotion means and would be applied in different ways uh, depending on what relationship you're talking about. Um, Christian devotion in a marriage relationship, for example, is defined by a lifelong loving commitment, right? If it's devotion toward uh, a mother or a father or maybe a grandparent or anybody in authority over you, like a government leader, a teacher, a boss, a manager, it means respect, like along the lines of the fifth commandment. If it's someone who is not an authority over you, but someone that you, in a sense, are responsible for, like a son or a daughter, devotion means caring for them. Devotion for the Christian means discipling them in the faith. If you're a teacher and it's your students or you're a manager or boss and you think of your employees, that devotion looks a certain way as well. Paul is no doubt thinking, especially in first of all, of being devoted to one another in the church. Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, children's church leaders, gems and cadets counselors have boys and girls, young people that they're called to minister to, love, care for in certain ways. Elders in our church have districts and the devotion they are called to is to pray for those under their care, reach out when there are needs and struggles, and the deacons are part of all this too. The leadership is called to give encouragement to all of us on our spiritual journey. And really, in fact, all of us are called to care for and love one another, following the example of Jesus, and to be devoted to one another in that sense. And, and when we do, when that happens, you know what, that creates, I believe, and builds a strong church, a church others will be drawn to and excited to be part of, a, a church, a, a family of God that will be empowered to work together to accomplish the mission of God as they, they first follow that most basic form of love for one another and devotion. In a world that really has a me-first attitude where there are pressures and there are temptations for both husbands and wives not to be devoted to one another, where there's 
a significant these days lack of respect for those in authority where parents are failing in their discipleship calling and duties where even in the church, people's devotion for fellow brothers and sisters is lacking. The reality is that you can only be devoted when you belong to Jesus and when you're devoted in his love for his people because if you think about it, though Jesus was tempted and pressured to do otherwise, uh, we read in the Gospels that he stayed faithful to his work for his people to the very end. He remained devoted to his people all the way to the cross. He accomplished the plan of redemption so we might be saved. He rose again. He ascended on high. He sends his spirit to empower us and strengthen us so that we can have a devotion and faithfulness and strength for living and serving that's from him. So if you worry about your devotion, if you feel guilty about your devotion, whether in the past or today, uh, just know that rooted in his commitment, rooted in the devotion that he has shown to his people, we can in turn live devoted lives in our families, in society, in the church, all the days of our lives. Fourth, honor. Honor one another above yourselves is the end of verse 10. We put the needs of others first, and this is ultimately what devotion looks like. In whatever person you're thinking of, we're called to be devoted to one another. In all those cases, devotion looks like that. Putting others and their needs first. It's the opposite of, of like a me first attitude in marriage, in the church, as a parent, as a child, an employee, an employer. It's putting others above ourselves. Fifth, a vital, a vibrant personal relationship with the Lord is a key ingredient to a healthy Christian life. Verse 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Sometimes it happens that people make a personal commitment to Jesus, believe in his name, uh, maybe even publicly profess their faith, but then they never get much further than that in life. They kind of stop there. They're going to heaven, great. They know that they've crossed the line from death to life, but they just get over the line and kind of stop. There's not much growth. They've arrived and think, well, what else is there to do? They may faithfully come to church and kind of sit there and nod their head, Um, but If you stop just over the line from death to life, you can miss so much in the Christian life. You know, that might be kind of like a couple getting married, saying the vows that make them a husband and wife, and then living in a house together. But strangely, this couple never eats together. 
They sleep in, in separate beds like a, like a 50s TV show. They never go out together. They even watch TV in separate rooms. Separate programs, separate rooms all the time, never together. If, if you heard of a couple that got married and did that kind of thing, you'd think they were crazy. You'd think you're missing so many great and wonderful things about marriage, the, the whole togetherness and growing together. In a similar way, we'll miss a lot if we aren't excited about our relationship with the Lord, if we're not cultivating it, working on it. There are riches to explore once you're married to Christ in terms of, of the relationship and all the aspects of it, of prayer and service and private devotions and public worship together and letting God's word feed you and nourish you and taking it in uh, more and more over the years. A healthy Christian will be devoted to those around them and honor them, but always be keeping first things first. He or she will take care of that number one relationship in their life, their relationship with their Lord and Savior, Jesus, the bridegroom. The sixth characteristic is the fruit of the Spirit. Paul has a variety of ways and places uh, that he lists those in his letters, and sometimes he gives us just a few to give us the idea, like here in verse 12, it seems that's what we have, a sampling of the fruit of the Spirit. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. As you grow in your personal walk with God, a healthy Christian will put off the old nature of sin and those tendencies with God's help, with the Spirit's help, and on the other side, become alive more and more to the Spirit so that your life will just beautifully blossom with the fruit of the Spirit more and more. And the full list from Galatians 5 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in all things, in every situation, even the hard ones, even the difficult ones. A final characteristic uh, I'm calling this, this, the seventh one, is a platform for building God's kingdom. Verse 13 says, share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. A healthy Christian life, as the other ingredients have shown us, is not just about yourself, it's about others. And here, Paul calls us to help those in need, to practice hospitality, both to those outside the church and within the church, is very clear from other places in Scripture. And when you think about hospitality, when is the last time, and not everyone is able to do this, given life's circumstances, it could be challenged, maybe you have little children, maybe it's sickness, illness, age, it's hard to do this, but for most of us, the, this question applies. When's the last time you invited someone into your home and had someone in your home who was not a family member 
or a very close friend? What about someone newer to the the church, the family of God? What about someone uh, in church that that you don't know very well at all? There is great joy in, in Christian growth in hospitality. It's something that's really gone by the wayside uh, for many people in our society. It's gone by the wayside compared to years ago in the family of God and in the church. And there are ways to change that, and that's just by us practicing hospitality more and being deliberate about it, thinking about it, fellowshipping more in that sense than just here. Sharing with those in need, practicing hospitality, they're wonderful, they're critical ways to look beyond ourselves, and in doing that, serving God by expanding the church, the kingdom, helping it grow and spread so that it advances from being in our heart and to those very close to us and rippling outward to others in the church, all kinds of people in the world, in our neighborhoods and communities. There are more ingredients to the Christian life, obviously, than these seven that the Bible gives us. But if we would just take these seven seriously, I think we'd have come a long way in terms of having a healthy, vibrant, God-honoring life. If you notice, these seven cover our inner life and being. They cover and talk about our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And they're kind of showing us that there are three dimensions to the healthy Christian life. Uh, And they give the details there of those, the the inner life, the life with God, the life in relation to others. May Faith Church be filled with healthy, vibrant Christians and always be looking to disciple even more, young, old, outside the church, inside the church. Amen. Amen.